Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope you're all getting through the week. Got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about fair fighting. Yep. What are the things couples, even friends and family members and colleagues need to keep in mind when they're getting into a debate? And uh, also ways to cope and deal with hurt. And then uh, finally, we'll be talking about how to deal with relational boredom. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. So weigh in on that bad boy. Um, You know, again, interesting, interesting time. But uh, we're getting through it together. So I wanted to open up by talking about doom scrolling. Why? Well, it's something that really impacts all of us. And that's not just because of what's going on in the news, right? There's always something new. My gosh, so much going on recently. But it's also just about the way we relate to our own downtime right? How present are we able to be with stillness and silence and just with ourselves? And we talked about this on I'm Listening Live, um, my live stream show on all the radio.com handles. And uh, we we're talking with um, Dr. Dajin McGee. And we're talking about both about the myth of multitasking, but also just this cultural inability to just be present with ourselves and how we fill up every space, even spaces that are already really uh, centering something with dynamicism and entertainment will still try to like add more to it, right? Life is like that that Sunday or the salad bar where you're like, you get what you want and you're like, ah, oh, let me just add a couple more scoops or you get your ice cream and you're like, how many toppings can I add to it? I just, I just need to go more, I need more. So even when you're seeing someone like, in a conversation or watching a movie, they still pick up their phone. They're still like, I need more stimulation. But even when that's not happening and you're waiting in line, we don't just sit with ourselves anymore right? And that's a way to really distance uh, from feeling, from thinking, from being. But doom scrolling is not just what you do to keep yourself busy, but it's sometimes just about this repetitious use, right? The act of endlessly connecting to, right? Bathing your psyche in and consuming negative online news. So we call it doom scrolling, right? You're just scrolling around, but it's nothing positive. You're not, you're not feeling good about it. <laughs> you don't put your phone down feeling really like loved, cared for it or nourished, right? Cause remember self-care has a neutral, but most likely you try for something that has a beneficial impact and just endlessly swiping doesn't do anything positive for us, especially when it's centered in not reading things that are going to make us feel good. So doom scrolling, what are the ways we can avoid it? Well, first off, when you feel anxious, don't necessarily reach for the phone. Instead, stop and say, what's going on? What am I feeling? And what are the ways that I can best maybe meet that need or deal with it? Because often the phone is is a way to really avoid having to encounter something. Am I bored? Am I lonely? 
I'm lonely? Reach out to someone. Don't just fill that space with scrolling. Am I hungry? Do I need to go get some basic needs met? Do I need a nap? Am I tired? Or am I bored? Am I not really taking the use of my time and energy towards something that gives me value and meaning? Go for a walk, right? Reach out to a friend. What am I feeling? Uh, write, write in your journal. <laughs> Do what we call active imagination, where you sit there and just have a conversation with yourself and process and share. Um, take a nap if you need, if you need some sleep, maybe go work on your basic needs. Maybe go get a snack, go prepare some food, drink some water, right? Maybe I need to meditate. Um, call a friend, listen to some music. That's a beautiful thing that I've been doing, right? And that's part of what working at a radio station has really reminded me is how music can be just a, such a powerful companion on my emotional journey, but also its own, its own space and activity, sitting there, letting your mind wander, maybe uh, in that space where you're not quite sleeping or napping, but your eyes are closed and you're resting and you're letting the music just kind of infiltrate and support you, drop you deeper into something or pull you out of something, just sitting there listening to music or playing in the background as you're dancing around your space, wandering around dancing, maybe you're cleaning or organizing, but just really adding something else. But that doom scrolling is not gonna be good for our mental health. It's not gonna be good for our nervous systems. It just keeps us in a state of anxiety and fear. It's not truly constructive or productive. So again, in those moments, pause, put your hand on your chest and say, what am I feeling? What am I needing? And what's the best way to get that need met or to deal with that feeling? And sometimes the answer is to just sit with it longer. And other times, like I said, reach out to someone if you're lonely, change what you're doing if you're bored. But scrolling just kind of keeps us trapped and keeps us disconnected. So we don't want to keep that, you know, as our, as our most accessible and uh, most comfortable form of coping, right? Because again, we get to choose what we want, but I want people to have a full range of options and then we truly get to choose. But if we're not aware of what our, all of our options are, then we don't really have choice. We're just kind of unconsciously moving through life, doing the same thing we've always done, giving us the same solution and just kind of keeping us suspended there. So, eh, you know, that's what we gotta do. Be aware of ourselves. That's mental health, right? Just more self-awareness, that observing ego, as we say, where you're kind of monitoring and watching yourself. But um, as I said, great stuff. We've got a great show planned for you. Gonna try to kind of keep us, you know, really rooted in our mental health this week, not necessarily talking endlessly about election stuff or politics. I, I like Loveline to be a break from all that, which is why I don't do a lot of news or political discussions. I want this to be a space where we have time away from that, right? And just really working on ourselves in other ways. So question night, as I said, is up as always on our Loveline AG page. So weigh in on that. If you got a DM, slide into our DMs on our Loveline AG page. And uh, producer Alex will get that question to me and we'll get that answered. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Alrighty, we're back. And now we're going to talk about fair fighting. Oh, so doing couples and marital therapy for, <clears throat> gosh, almost two decades now, huh, certain perspectives kind of emerge. And um, all this is born out of research. Uh, the Gottmans are... Um, a uh, married couple that have done a lot, a lot of really well-respected, extensive research around what are the traits of couples that don't fare well and what are the traits of the ones that do? And based on a couple different qualifying behaviors that you know partners will engage in, they can determine uh, divorce or success and failure. And this is done by tracking a multitude of couples over a long period of time. And there's so much really powerful meat, uh, you know, 
meatless meat to uh, that kind of scenario. And, you know, I'm constantly dropping some of them throughout the shows. So, you know, I'm not always calling it out as such, but know that through the entry point of all different kinds of topics or news events, I'm always dropping little gems that people can walk away from. So even if you feel like a topic doesn't relate to you, there's so much you can learn from that. For instance, just doing a lot of work and researching and studying non-monogamy and polyamory, I've learned a lot of really valuable important concepts and tools around boundaries, communication, jealousy for couples that are monogamous uh, or married. And so it's very much transferable in a lot of ways. So please don't always think that if a topic doesn't directly relate to you, that that doesn't mean that there isn't something in there that you can kind of learn or benefit from. So the first thing is often fair fighting. Now, one of the flaws in a lot of people's fights is they get hung up on the content. Now, there are times when literally something does need to be figured out, but part of being a mature adult is understanding, is this something that needs to be dealt with now, the content? You know, whether or not we're, I don't know, going to this one place for vacation. Often it's not, but people will get hung up on battling out and trying to figure out who's right, who's gonna win. When any time a couple gets in a fight, the first priority should be repair. It should be the relationship. The relationship should mean more than whatever we're battling. And so the first concept around healthy, fair fighting is focusing on repair, repair and reconnecting. Those two R's, repair and reconnect. So as you're fighting, that should always be your question. Ah, I'm noticing we're starting to create a rupture. We're going to conflict, which is healthy. But what's most important is not whether or not you're fighting because all couples will fight. And you can't say, oh, you know, we're not doing well because we're fighting because that's expected. But the question has to be, are we prioritizing repair and reconnecting? Because what a lot of couples do is they, they fight and they fight and they push and they push and they go in and they go in and they think that the issue is the topic. But the issue is actually also the container within which the topic is occurring and being discussed. And that's the relationship, the two people. And we're, we're really battling both. We're battling our partner and the relationship and harming both while also trying to figure out this topic. And ideally you get to a place where it's neutral. You know what I mean? And we're, we're divesting all that intensity and all that corros- corrosiveness, right? So it has to go back to repair and reconnect. And that's what I spent a lot of my time in couples therapy doing. Great, you guys had a fight about what movie to watch or where to go on vacation. Great, you'll figure that out. That's not my priority. It's how do you feel together right now? Oh, there's a rupture. You don't feel close and connected. So that's the work. So the, the, you always have to be willing to do the repair. I put that, uh, that responsibility on both partners. I don't care who created the issue. Be willing to repair. What are the reconnective pieces? And then this, the caveat to that, the second important piece, is that you're always acting and speaking in what we call a relational way. And that means I'm speaking to them with words and a tone that communicate you are in a relationship with me and I want you to stay in relationship with me. So I want to make sure I'm presenting myself in a safe way. Sometimes people will communicate and deal with conflict in an aggressive way, which is basically saying, I don't care about you, I don't care about us, I don't care about if we survive this or what happens afterwards, I just need to get my point made. That's very self-fulfilling and you'll, you'll achieve that versus a relational discussion around conflict, which is I can assert myself, but I'm not trying to make it unsafe for you to stay connected to me in this moment or beyond this moment. And so there's a difference in tone and languaging right? One way is done where I'm just trying to annihilate you. We are in competition now. I don't care about our relationship. I'm going to burn through and blow through it in service of this fight versus again, I'm acknowledging that I want us to weather and survive this and I want us to be able to reconnect after. And so my tone and my behaviors match that. I'm speaking relationally, pro-relationship, in service of relationship, considering our relationship. That's why I use the word relational. So again, first piece, the, the work should always be about reconnection and repair. And the second piece is all the fighting and the repair is done in a relational way. And you're letting go of this me versus you. We're in this together. 
You know what I mean? We don't want to burn through our relationship because of this issue. Now, adding to that is this very, very, very popular concept that I think is really tough for some people because we really misunderstand this is impact versus intention. People will get very hung up on defending, well, that's not what I meant to say, or that's not what I meant to do. And they think that that is the primary focus. No, the primary focus is on the impact. It doesn't matter whether or not you meant to harm someone, you did, and you are responsible for fixing that. If you're leaving a coffee shop and you accidentally, not intending to, bump into someone and they spill their coffee, do you just walk away going, ah, it wasn't my intention, sorry about it? I hope not. I hope you realize impact first. I, I sp impacted someone negatively. I spilled someone's coffee, I was part of that. I hope you say, oh man, I'm sorry, and go get napkins or something, right? We have to do that when we're fighting with our partner as well. Just like, again, if I'm standing by you and you drive over my toe, you might not have intended that, that wasn't your intention, but you did. I hope you park, get out and say, is your toe okay? Attending to the impact. Can I help you with your toe? Can I help walk you somewhere safe to sit? Do you need me to call a doctor, right? So the impact first, and we don't usually think about that. It's like, well, I didn't intend to hurt them, so I'm absolving myself of any responsibility. Oh dear God, if you negatively impacted someone, take accountability for that. And that's part of the fighting is people try to lean out because they think that intention matters more and it doesn't. Intentions your own internal process internally, feel good. Self-esteem wise and integrity wise that you didn't intend that harm, that's great. That's about you with yourself. But in terms of you relating to this person, you harmed them, deal with the harm, the impact first. And that's a really hard lesson to learn because we really wanna disconnect from others and only take responsibility for ourselves and our side of the street. And that's too individualistic we impact others and I want us to care about the impact we have on others, which is what I've been yapping about in terms of COVID. Can't just be, well, I wanna do this thing. Well, what kind of impact does that have on those around you, those you live with, right? We gotta consider those kinds of things. We need, we need a little bit more of that. All right, coming up next, we're gonna talk about different kinds of hurt and ways to cope. Yep, important topic. Two minute promise though, we'll be back in two minutes. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about harm and ways to cope. Now, there's a misunderstanding, I think, in the world. Pop psychology kind of gets us wrong and, you know, people's ideas of, you know, psychology. And it's that uh, to get over something means to not have any residue of it anymore. Or to get over something is to no longer have feelings about it. And we have memory, right? So we're not going to necessarily get over anything. Our mind will remember events and things will trigger those memories. Sights, smells, sounds, scenarios, people. And our memory will bring back associated feelings. Always, that's how memory works. That's the blessing and the curse of memory. Um, getting over something doesn't mean when it comes up or gets triggered. Well, first off, getting over something doesn't mean it never comes up or gets triggered. Again, we have memory. We will be reminded. And number two, getting over something doesn't mean I have no feelings about it. That's not the goal. We're, we're a person. So dealing with you know negative events in our, in our history or dealing with trauma is about management resolving some of those feelings so they're not as powerful. But more importantly, actually, trauma work is about not letting it interfere with your current life and functioning and being able to participate in your life as in the ways you want to with the ability to have memory come up at times and to not be really bothered or thrown off by it, thrown off by it because not everything's healable. And that's one of the things that I remind patients when they come in is, you know, a lot of these things are management or decreasing the impact it has on us or trying to live fully in our life presently, dealing with triggers, but memory remains. Um, and this can be something that comes up around a lot of different things. Death of a loved one, that's something that remains with us forever. Grief and loss is not about getting over, it's learning how to move on. It's learning how to carry that loss with you, right? 
Um, things like drug and alcohol, our relationship to drugs and alcohol, that can change. At one time, it can feel like an addiction. At other times, it's just a little bit of a misuse. Some people, it's more ongoing, but that can be something that we carry with us. Different forms of mental struggle, uh, people betraying us, injuries. So again, the work is about not letting it define you. And that's why I don't use diagnostics. I think giving someone a diagnosis and saying you're you're a depressive or you're a borderline, I think that that actually becomes self-fulfilling. I think it can be shaming. I think it can also limit us. And we forget that we're more than that. We also forget that we can overcome all that. We also forget that sometimes, again, it's not who we are. It's tied to a context or an environment we, we were born within or we currently live in. And it puts responsibility on the person. So I don't use those terms. We just talk about symptoms or what's going on. Um, so we don't want to let these things define us and some people carry them forward. And that's why some people don't use words. If you're talking about, let's say drugs and alcohol, some people won't say I'm an addict because that to them is a very, can be very limiting. Others, it's very liberating, but I go the way of, I like to feel people, I like people to hold it loosely to know that this is something that makes sense to me now or then that doesn't mean that's who I'm going to be in the future and hold it lightly. Right? So you don't have to identify it those ways. Now, the another way to like really work through and push through is to become an activist. I'm now seeing more and more that to just focus on an issue or an event once a week in our office therapeutically is just not big enough. And for some people to really feel like they've conquered it or to really feel empowered is they go out in the world on a larger level and they battle it. For instance, people that are fat in my practice, fat identified, larger bodied, they'll become fat rights activists. And they're like, I need to do more than just sit in this clinical office once a week and talk about how I've been wounded by fat phobic culture, um, homophobia, transphobia, People realize, you know, look, we live in a homophobic and transphobic culture, and that's the cause of a lot of my issues. It's not an internal problem. I'm trying to do my best and feel my best living in this world the way it is. And then they go out activistically and try to create changes on a legal level, institutional, systemically, and that's really empowering. And it's more importantly, them helping dismantle that which created the problem in the first place. And that's really, really, really healing, right? Also, community building, and that's another big one. Having people around you that understand who you are and reflect back that you still have value and also that healing can happen. And again, to use another addiction example, that's why for some people, 12 steps are really powerful because they're around people that have been through what they've been through in some extents. You know, it's different depending on your race and your sexuality and that needs to be accommodated. And that's why some people go to uh, black centric meetings or gay centric meetings or men's meetings or women's meetings. Um, you gotta figure out what makes sense to you. Some people it's the opposite, um, but they build community. You know, people that are going through what they're going through, people that can really relate, people that can, like I said, reflect back that there's there's more to us than that. And so that's a really important part, right? Remember, connecting to others, turning it into a mission and a purpose and becoming an activist, and just really understanding what can happen. But the final piece, and this is the most important part, I believe, of mental health, is also acknowledging that there's still joy and pleasure and meaning to be found in your life. How can I acknowledge that these things happened and are there, but how can I still turn and orient to the fact that there's still other things in my life that are meaningful and valuable, knowing that some of these issues, right, aren't resolvable, that they're maybe just improvable, or we just learn how to manage. But how can I still go back and participate in my world? Because again, mental health is really tied to building a life that has a lot of meaning and value for you. You know, that's, that's, that's it. It's not about happiness, right? It's, out, it's about building a life that makes sense, knowing that that can bring feelings of happiness. Happiness is a temporary experience. Happiness is not something that's ongoing. It's fleeting. We find moments of happiness, 
right? And it's okay to live in moments where there isn't happiness. That's honest and that's real, right? That's part of the human condition is things aren't always gonna be the way we want. We have to be able to cope with that. But um, all those other pieces we just talked about are ways that we can really make a bigger, broader picture and give meaning. Because giving meaning to something is what gets us through. There's an entire theory and practice of psychotherapy that is rooted in finding meaning and value. And that's Viktor Frankl's work, logotherapy, finding meaning and value. And that's what helps us stay sober. That's what helps us get out of bed in the morning. And that's what helps us kind of heal some of our historical wounds and our traumas. It's really beautiful stuff. All right, y'all coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs and then question the night that's up on our Loveline IG page in the story. So weigh in on that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. So we have a long one hanging there. Hey, Dr. Chris. Oh, for those that want to know, these DMs come from our Loveline AG page. So you got a question, drop it on in there. Uh, hey, Dr. Chris, I feel like my partner is pressuring me to move. Well, most likely they are then. And I don't know what to do about it. Say no. Uh, about five years ago, I was able to buy a condo. Cute little space. Oh, congratulations. It's adorable. It's a very important milestone for a lot of people in our culture. Um, well, a year after I got into a relationship and things moved pretty fast, my ex basically moved in within, within months. Okay. Well, after two years, that relationship didn't work out. So my condo is mine again. Isn't that a great feeling? <laughs> you pledge with someone, they move out. You're like, it's my space again. I can do whatever I want here and decorate how I want. And it can be as dirty as I want or as clean as I want and all sorts of things. <laughs> uh, now I have a new partner who spends a lot of time at my condo. They want me to sell it because there's bad energy here. No, there's not. <laughs> again, this is someone who's just feeling way too fragile about the fact that someone lived there before them. You guys, people date people before we enter their lives. That's not something we should hold against them. We don't need to like buy a new bed and buy new clothing because maybe they saw us in that or it gets really ridiculous. We, if this is falling under a little bit of emotional abuse, but also it's falling under what we call toxic monogamy, a toxic form of monogamy. The idea that I want to pretend you've never been with someone before me and I'm going to be threatened by everything. Come on, y'all. Let's be a little better than that. Um, bad energy. Come on. No, you, you are aware your your new partner is aware that they live there, but that's not bad energy. This is your condo. You, you need, they need to grow up a little bit. Um, you actually agree with that? No, come on. That's a mess. Be better than that. But picking up, selling a condo, moving somewhere isn't that easy. And I don't want to feel rushed. Am I wrong for not taking her feelings seriously? No, please don't take that seriously. Please do not empower our partners to, um, be toxically monogamous with us. Please do not empower your partner and honor their jealousy and possessiveness like that. That's not a good sign. That will show up in other ways. Now they don't want you to live in your condo because your ex lived there at some point. Next, you're not allowed to have a friend that they're threatened by. Next, they want to be going through your phone. After that, they're texting you when you're out with friends. Where are you? What are you doing? I can't believe it. That's a mess. Shut that down now. Start setting those boundaries. Hey, listen, I lived here before, I live here now, I love this place. Yes, my ex lived here. You gotta accept that you, my ex is, a, is, a, 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 is alive. And maybe we'll bump into my ex when we're out and I will smile and say hello and introduce you. Like, come on. Like, it's messy when people wanna be like angry at their ex and shade their ex and your ex lived here, we can't know. You stay in that condo. And the work is on her. You have no work you need to do. You've done nothing wrong and you are not doing anything wrong and you are staying in that condo. She needs to grow up and deal with her feelings better. Do not honor that mess. Oof. Because again, that's a red flag. There's so many other things that stem outside and beyond that kind of behavior. Don't empower that. 
Just because someone's threatened doesn't mean it's, it's worthy of threat. Just because someone's jealous doesn't mean you have to honor their jealousy. Sometimes it's like, nah, I can't honor that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear you're struggling. Let me know how I can help, but I'm not going to reorient my life to fix that. That's not okay. Shut that down. Um, you know, the beautiful thing about relationships is it's like a mirror being held up. They let us know where our work is. And uh, again, your job as a partner is not to make sure at all costs that your partner's never uncomfortable. It's okay to do things that make your partner uncomfortable. You know what I mean? I, I can't believe she wants you to actually give up your condo because your ex lived there. Please. Y'all kill me with this stuff. Um, all right, coming up next, we're going to talk about defining the self and also what to do with relational boredom. It's a natural part of uh, being in a relationship for a long period of time. It happens, um, but there's ways out of it. And then we'll be doing our question of the night. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. So wait on that. And also check out my live stream show. I'm listening live, which is every Thursday on radio.com handles, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Experts, celebrities talking about self-care, mental health, pandemic. Man, pandemic's going strong. Y'all have seen those stats. Um, all right, y'all. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. How's the week going for y'all? Let's just do a quick little check-in. How's the week going? Remember, don't let a bad moment become a bad day. Don't let a bad day become a bad week. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it has to. Sometimes that's real. But try to sometimes, as we say, right size it. Having a bad moment doesn't have to mean, oh, today's ruined. We can sometimes just step outside of that. Same thing with a bad day. Even a bad week doesn't have to mean it's a bad month, but we tend to catastrophize in that way. So just remember that. We're right-sizing it, right? We're also dropping the bar a little bit. We're also only doing about 60%. We're realizing things are hard. My God, we're at the intersection of a lot of different stressors and pressures. So whew, we got to give ourselves a break, but got to also give those around you a break too. Like that's the, the duality of it all. We're giving everyone else a break in ourselves. Look, and I see that even in microwaves. I was at the coffee shop the other day and, uh, you know, people are a handful right now. And I was just like, oh man, letting, I was like, let, you know, have patience. People are struggling. Everyone's doing the best they can. Let it go. Let it go. Why? Because I don't want to internalize it and take other people's struggles with me, you know? And so we're kind of doing that stuff for ourselves. All right, so we're going to talk about how to maintain a self while in a relationship. Ah, see, what's really interesting about this is it's both. Getting into an attached relationship, an attachment is an interpersonal neurobiological thing that happens where our brains and our nervous systems wire together. And that's why a breakup, once we've attached, really, really is a breakup. It's a breaking up of those fusions. And a true attached relationship, right, which takes about roughly two years for a full attachment to occur, where we really be able to build them into our lives, trust occurs. And again, like I said, our nervous systems and our brains wire and we impact each other and people do make each other feel certain ways. I don't agree that people can't make us feel a certain way. Oh my God, they absolutely do. We're open systems and we have empathy and mirror neurons and people do reflect back and we reflect back to them and, and impact each other. But acknowledging that a relationship is a regressive fusion. We are fusing. And that's why I don't use words like codependent. There, there's a place for a complete abandoning of yourself and your needs for someone else. And that would and should be the definition of codependence. But I problematically see people sling that word around for couples that are just attached. And that's a healthy word. Again, that's that interpersonal neurobiological experience when we're really forming a deep connection relationship with someone. And that's going to look to some people that are very phobic of closeness or an intimacy avoidant as codependent. And it's not. 
And that's part of that work. And we have to understand that there's a responsibility in that, but it takes like two years. Prior to that, you can be falling in love with people. It's a lot of lust. It's a lot of hormones, um, spending time together, but that true attachment can take well beyond a year. Um, so the whole point in saying this though, is that it's gotta be a balance and I don't use not balances in 50, 50 because nothing in our lives really operates that way. But this idea that we still get to have a separate self in some, in some contexts, which that, what that means is you're someone's partner. So you get to have couples day, right? But as we've said before, you still get to have days to yourself where you say tonight, I'm going to go to the movies alone, or I'm going to go to an exhibit this week, this day or this weekend. I want to have some alone time. And then you're allowed to have just have friend time where it's just you and a friend, your partner is not there. They don't need to always be there. They don't even need to be there at all. I often don't bring my relationship into my friendship and vice versa. I keep them separate. I want deep intimacy with each of them. When I'm with friends, I just want it to be me and my friend bonding, connecting and catching up. I don't need need my partner to be weighing in or involved in that very separate. And that's okay. That's how I run my life. But I do family time where it's just me and family. I do friend time where it's just me and friends. I do alone time where it's just me. And then I do romance time, romance time when we're together. And sometimes I'll swirl some of that together. It's not, you know, so powerfully demarcated and compartmentalized, but we need to do both. You need to be able to fully attach, which is about consistency, right? you know, how you really form an attached relationship and maintain it is being consistent and responsive. And that's really the two big terms. Are you consistent? Are you present? And are you responsive? Do you follow through? Do you keep up with things in their life? Do you track things? Do you ask them what's going on and then follow up on it? When they're talking to you, do you make eye contact and are you present, right? So relationships are a negotiation of this fusion and the separation. And not everyone can tolerate one or the other. Everyone's on that continuum where on one end we want relationship and connection and on the other end we want solitude, singledom and autonomy. And we're, and we're always pulled in between those two poles. And some people manage it really well and others don't. And that's sometimes when some people start cheating, they don't really manage the tension between wanting both, both a relationship and pair bonding while also wanting some autonomy and freedom. And that's why healthy, sustainable relationships allow for both. There's moments for both. And we support each other in both because we see the value. We see how much we need it. When we get in a relationship, our lives shouldn't shrink down and just be us and them. It should expand because we just brought someone else, someone new into our lives and all the other people that were in our life still get to remain. It gets bigger. So if you're in a relationship where your life, now that you're in a relationship with someone is shrinking or getting smaller, that's a red flag. Don't allow that to happen. From the door, maintain all these different separate selves while always also maintaining a relational self with this person. It's hard work, but it's work that we got to do. So track that because that's what really, really gives us both the closeness we need, but also the space. We need both integration and individuation. And we have to do both. It's not one or the other. And some theories in pop psychology really skew too much to one side or too much to the other. But it's always a little bit of both. All right, y'all. Loveline is podcasted over at wearechannelq.com. So you can go back and check out old episodes. Good stuff. Post them, share them. And also hope you're checking out my live stream show. I'm listening live. It's every Thursday night on all the radio.com handles, Twitter, Instagram. I'm sorry, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Um, celebrities, experts talking about mental health, self-care, COVID, God bless it, the election stuff. Never ending goodies. Uh, you are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we are back. Oh, man. 
wild times. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just keep taking in how much is going on on breaks. I'm like checking my emails and looking at social media. Yikes. Okay, y'all <laughs> coming back, coming back down to earth. Oof. Got to ground yourselves, right? You know, you got to sometimes just kind of put your feet flat on the ground and be like, okay, I'm here. I'm in this moment. Look around, count things, look at colors. But um, let's talk about reasons you may be feeling bored in your relationship. Ah, so some people that haven't had a lot of long-term relationships don't know that there's an expected phase where things plateau, you know, it's not as exciting as it used to be, but that's not a bad sign. That's actually often a sign of love and attachment. And that's what we're looking for to be in a loving and attached relationship. And that means that, um, we've gotten really familiar with each other, you know, and that's not a reason to panic. It's actually a good sign. Um, make sure that, you know, a lack of drama and conflict aren't misconstrued as things being bad or boring. You know, it's not necessarily boredom as much as it's just maintenance, you know, the maintenance phase. And I hate that word because again, it's capitalism and work and business value showing up in a relationship maintenance, but that's the only word I can come up with right now. So we're going to get a better one soon, but it's a maintenance phase where things are going well and there's not much attention and needing, you know, attendance needing to be done to things because we've kind of worked through a lot. It's a beautiful place to be. So the first thing is know that anything that's in our life and has been for a while will have a loss of newness and novelty and newness and novelty is one of the most exciting things in our lives, right? We think about a new car. You get a new car and you're like, all right, I'm going to be careful where I park this. No one, you know, people are check. you're making sure people check their shoes before they get in. You're not going to, if you spill something, you wipe it up. And then what happens? Months in, you're like banging the door into something. People are dropping food. You're like, it's fine. This old thing, because the news and novelty wear off. It's a, it's natural. It's a natural part of the habituation process, right? Our brains are high, hardwired to become comfortable and familiar with things, right? We respond neurologically to new and novel stimuli with a lot of attention and excitement. Our, our brains are always scanning the known environment to see if there's something new or novel, if it, there's a threat. This is just kind of part of it. So you don't want to necessarily take your relationship for granted. So make sure you're not doing that because that can also be a part of that, right? You always have to kind of prioritize, but don't panic if things don't feel as exciting as they always were because we go through phases. It's ebbs and flows, right? Because some people are used to relationships having a lot of big highs and a lot of low lows. And to them, that's most familiar. But that's a sign of a lot of toxic relationships. If that's what you expect or that's what you're in, that's not a good sign. It should be more plateau. And, and if, if you've been together for a long time and there's not a lot of plateau, you have a lot of work to do. Maybe get into some couples therapy because that means you're just not learning better repair and reconnecting skills. And things are kind of staying open-ended or the same things are surfacing. So just make sure you're not just used to too many highs and too many low lows. Because again we will then interpret something that's in the middle as maybe being boring or flat, but it's not. That's where the normal world lives. That even changes with some people's social lives when they get sober or they get into a relationship and they're not out late or doing the same things they used to do. And they're like, oh man, life is boring. No, it's just not dealing with all the dramas of all the things you used to be involved in. It's a big part of people getting sober. Really finding value and joy in things that are a little lower level on the drama scale. You know what I mean? It's like having been used to always being at Disneyland on those rides and all of a sudden you're just at like the local fair. It's not going to be as dramatic or exciting, but you have to find the beauty and value in that. It doesn't have to be boring. It's just different. Different isn't always bad, but that's going to change. But make sure you're still building in intimacy because what can also happen instead, bump it bum, is that some people stop getting vulnerable and sharing who they are or prioritizing their relationship and they take it for granted. Remember, relationship is a verb. It's not something you have, it's something you do. And if you're not relationshiping and focusing and prioritizing and engaging it, well then 
you don't really have it. It's just this concept that exists. Like, well, we committed to each other. So you're kind of just really living off a commitment but you're not actually relationshiping. It should be a thing we do. It's an active system. We should be connecting, um, doing things with them, building more intimacy and closeness, right? And also finally, just making sure that you are expressing and sharing what you need and what you want and that they're doing the same with you. Because it's really, really easy to, again, go through the checklist of stages. Like, I asked them out and then we dated and then we got committed. This is the usual relational trajectory. This isn't the correct or best one, but this is what usually happens. So again, you're dating and then they become your, you know, committed boyfriend or girlfriend. And then we, uh, I don't know, move in together and then we maybe get married and then we maybe have kids. And it's just like this, like normal, normal, normal process. And then we somehow think like it's done. Like our job is done here. We've checked all these boxes. And like I said, no, it's an active system. You have to always be flirting. You have to always be attracting. You have to always be romancing. Because if you step out of that cycle, it feels like you stepped out of that cycle and it should feel like you stepped out of that cycle. Because again, it's not something that runs itself. It's like a pet. You don't get a dog and go, ah, the work here is done. It's like, oh no, you have to still feed it, (laughs) walk it, Um, maybe help it if it's injured. You have to give it care and attention, right? It's something you keep up with. But we somehow think that like adults or our partners aren't like that. That like once we quote unquote have them, like this ownership model, again, capitalism showing up in relationships, that like we're good. And that's why it bums me out when I hear, I, I will never forget this. This was so impactful. And me and my fiance were sitting on the couch when this was set on television. We both looked at each other and we were like, ew, that is so gross. And it was this TV show. I'm not going to say what, I'm not going to say who. And the female host was like, yeah, I want to thank golfing because golfing help, is what has helped my marriage because my husband's never home. And I thought, how sad. How sad that you're maintaining a relationship you don't want to be in with someone you don't want to be with just to maintain it and that you're happy and you're doing well because they're never around because they're always golfing. But that's not the purpose of relationships. That means it's time to do some work or it's time to leave. You know, it's time to exit. Like, what's the point of that? You're missing out on all the beauty and joy of being in a relationship with someone, experiencing the world together, intimacy, sexuality, romance. God, never give up on that. It doesn't matter how long you've been together or how old you are. Always keep demanding and pushing for that. And I mean demanding is in challenging yourself to create and, and seek. Woof, the things people allow, man. Shake it alive. Don't let it die like that. All right, coming up next, question of the night. So still some time to weigh in on that. That's on our Loveline IG page in the stories. And then we'll be closing out with some DMs. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back, and now it's time for question of the night. Question of the night, as always, comes from our Loveline IG page. It's in the story, so wait on that. The new one's already up. Um, <clears throat> as the new year comes up, I know, lots of holidays coming. It's going to be different this year. Remember, difference doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's canceled, but we got to get creative. It's going to be different next year as long as we follow the rules. Don't panic. We know they're coming. We can still prepare in all sorts of interesting ways mentally and socially to still make sure it's fun. We were talking about this with the holidays. You can still decorate. You can still dress up. You can still make your favorite foods. You know what I mean? It's just going to be different this year. Play the music still. Surround yourself in it. It's just different. As the new year comes up, what are some things you are looking for professionally that you weren't before? Oh, the professional component of all this. I'm looking for a damn vacation and a break. I'm taking two weeks off at the end of December. I'm doing nothing but going away with my babe and we're gonna just rest and have lots of sex and just have fun and eat lots of food and just, woo. Okay, professionally. Question tonight, as the new year comes up, what are some things you're looking for professionally that you weren't before? First person said, my wife and I got offered virtual childcare over the last few months and it's been great. Definitely looking to continue that. Virtual childcare. 
<laughs> Tell me more about that. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not sure I 100% know what that means, but that's kind of cool. Uh, I've never heard that before. Someone else said, more flexibility to travel. Since we can work from anywhere now, I don't want to get in trouble if I decided to get out of my house for a week but can still work. I love that. I mean, again, that's the thing we're learning. We can all work from home, so we should all continue to. It, it's more efficient for many, for some. Some people miss getting out of the house. I get it. A lot of people I'm working with, they now have that option or reduced hours in the office. We're learning that people can get a lot from home. I'm doing everything from home, and it's working great. I am mad at it. Um, but uh, yeah, get out of your house for a while. Why can't, if you can work from home, you can work from vacation. If you can work from home, you can work from an outside area at a coffee shop. You know what I mean? Like do it. I'm all about that. A uh, question that as near comes up, what are some things you're looking for professionally that you weren't before? Someone said definitely more sick time. <laughs> Wait, why? Because you haven't used it? Because you've been home? Maybe that's part of it. How's that work? Does that get kicked over the next year? I don't even know these things. Uh, question night, as the new year comes up, what are some things you were looking for professionally that you weren't before? Someone said, super important to have boundaries, like set lunch times and breaks. Before I felt like I was on call 24 seven. That is true. Uh, working from home, we need designated work areas, right? So we can separate our lives so it's not just one big blur. Also, designated work areas with a door or sign or headphones can communicate to people at home with you. I'm working right now and I love those boundaries. This is when I'm working and when I'm not, you'll know because I'll leave that room, open the door, change the sign, take the headphones off. But also, yeah, build in breaks. Still take those breaks. Some people, they're still changing clothing a little bit. Um, those things are just psychologically, but also important familially for those boundaries. So people know like when we're available, when we're not, because you're right, being home all day, people don't mind kind of saying, yo, real quick, or I just have a quick question. It's like, that could be very disruptive or really getting in the way of what you're doing, especially if you're doing things that involve like meetings and Skype and things like that. Uh, question tonight, as the new year comes up, what are some things you're looking for professionally that weren't before? Someone said, I want the option to come in and work if we want, or the option to stay home. But I'm seeing that offer to a lot of people, and I think that's really phenomenal. Um, I have a couple clients that are lawyers, and they're now able to work less days. I have another client who's completely able to work from home, because the companies are realizing like the efficiency is there. There's no need to have them come in if they don't need to come in. What's the difference? And you can just wear what you want and they can have smaller and less office space, less overhead in some ways. I mean, there's a lot of ways that it's actually beneficial to everyone. And I keep citing that that study that in China, they did a gigantic large population size uh, longitudinal study looking at the output and efficiency, but also happiness and mental health of those that are working less hours. And they realize working less hours every day and less and a less, you know, like a four day work week actually is more efficient and productive for everyone. So Follow the science. We all keep yapping about science, 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 but then we ignore the science. We shouldn't be working five days a week. It's actually not efficient. We shouldn't be working eight hours each day. That's not efficient. People get burnt out and tired. Um, so shorter work days, shorter work weeks works for everyone. So follow the damn science. It's exhausting as someone who looks at a lot of science to see people ignoring science and just, just, just how we do it. It's how we're comfortable. You know, it's like corporate culture. It's so rigid. Um, it needs to evolve and grow. Things have changed y'all. <laughs> There's industrial and organizational psychology. It will let you know what the new studies and stats are saying. So if you really believe in the science, follow it, look out for your employees. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of people are loving the t home time. Again, not everyone. Some people are like, get me out of here. Cause some families have people going to school and they're working and there's maybe one computer, small spaces, it's loud, there's interruptions. I mean, we've seen those uh, <clears throat> videos of people getting interviewed and like the, the child runs in or the pet or whatever it is. 
It's adorable, but it's also very frustrating to many. All right, y'all, question of the night as always is up on our Loveline IG page. So uh, weigh in on that. It's up in our stories. Coming up next, we're gonna be sliding into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we are back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a person. I have phlegm in my throat. Um, okay, here we go. <laughs> These DMs go from my Loveline IG page. Slide on in there. Look, whatever your question is, bring it to us. Because, uh, I mean, we got, we got a lot of them, so we're good. But whatever you're wondering about, a lot of people are wondering about it as well. And some of you... You know, drop it into my private IG page at Dr. Donahue, but I just don't have the time to sit there and do it. I've got a lot of things going on, living my own life. So if you want your question answered, we're here for you. It's always anonymous, confidential. If you want, drop it in those uh, DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris. So my best friend is newly single out of a six-year relationship with some loser. Anyway, I want to get her some sex toys, but I have no idea where to start. What recommendations do you have? Uh, we got a question like this last week. I don't, I don't have a recommendation, actually. It's specific to the person. Do they want something that goes in, something on the outside, something that vibrates, something that doesn't? I mean, it really depends. Uh, best, easiest one would just be go with a vibrator. But quality matters. It really does for a multitude of reasons. The motor, uh, quality of the material, uh, anything that goes in our body, we want to make sure we're using things that are safe. Uh, also have to pay attention to the lube. Oil-based lubes can erode at certain, certain sex toys. Sex toys uh, stored together can erode at each other based on their material. So set, keep them separate. Clean them after each use with yourself or with partners. But uh, just start with a general vibrator. You know, go online. <clears throat> Wander around. See what looks fun. What have you used that you've liked? That's usually the easy model. You know, it's non-threatening. Um, non-threatening. The price, the price is pretty good. And uh, you can't really go wrong with that because vibrators can be used on any part of the body um, just to apply pressure or the vibration itself. So I like that you're wanting to look out for your friend, though. What a great stress reliever, especially <laughs> with what we've all gone through. And they're newly single, but, you know, as they move into the next relationship, I hope they take it with them into their next relationship. You know what I mean? Because that's something we should never be afraid of. Some people get thrown off by that. And I always say, remember, if you're using sex with a partner, it's about pleasure. So... That's what they're trying to center. And also, if you're the one using it on them, it's your hands. So it's you doing it. You're choosing the pressure, the movement. You're there with them. It's a shared activity. Shared activities are legit. You know what I mean? So don't get so hung up on that. But that's kind of, I would say, go with what you want. But the vibrator is pretty easy. I wish I could say wander around a store. I, actually, you can. I guess a lot of them are still open. You can go to a sex boutique. People there are very well educated. The higher end ones have people that go through an education process. But online's cool, too. Um you can maybe even ask them what kind of thing they're looking for. Everyone has all different kinds of thoughts and stuff like that. But um, yeah, good luck with that. Uh, question of the night, as always, is up again on our Loveline IG page. So weigh in on that. And uh, remember, y'all, we are focusing right now on self-care, joy, and pleasure. So if you haven't already today, ask yourself, have I done something that focuses on self-care? Have I done something that brings me nothing but joy and pleasure? And have I found ways to rest? Sometimes we wrap that all up into one thing. But center that every single day. And if you haven't, can you do that tonight? And if not, how can I do that at some point tomorrow? But every single day, we want to make sure that there's space in our lives for that. Otherwise, our lives are most likely not centered in our mental health. And also continue to ask people, how's your mental health? You know, it's a really profound way to let them know that I'm here. I want to hear about it. And of course, it does the important work of normalizing 
right? We want to get very comfortable familiar talking about our feelings, especially for people that are male identified. Hold space for that in their lives. Let them know that you're someone who's there for that, that it's not a sign of weakness. You know, male, quote unquote, mental health is something that we need to focus more on, especially in certain other communities and populations where it's seen as not, you know, masculine, right? Toxic masculinity at its best. And it serves actually all of us relationally, socially, and culturally when we're a little more emotionally available. No bad emotions, no negative or positive. They're all good. We got to learn how to kind of live with all of them. But coming up on tomorrow's show, it's going to be a good one. We're going to do a midweek check-in. I'm all about that. But we're going to talk about the important power of napping. It's something I'm getting better at. It was really hard for me. I was not raising a family where we did that. And also talking about harm reduction, which is a better model for working with drugs and alcohol. And then finally, we're going to also be talking about happiness. Why, what, how, where, when, I know. It's something that's very confusing. And that's why it eludes many of us. Because we don't really understand what we should be thinking about or focusing on and also how to get there. But question night, as always, is up on our Love on IG page. So weigh in on that. That'll be there tomorrow. And if you want more Loveline, we are podcasted over at wearechannelq.com. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. And have a beautiful, beautiful night.